BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode of Friend of a Friend is brought to you by the House of Chanel. Chanel introduces a new generation of sustainably developed skincare infused with a high concentration of ingredients and derived from the uniquely revitalizing winter-blooming red camellia flower. Packaged with lightweight glass, organic ink, and other bio-based materials, Numero 1 de Chanel forges an unprecedented path of skincare innovation. Numero 1 de Chanel, beauty ahead of time. To learn more about the line, visit chanel.com. Olivia Perez. Today's episode is a very special reunion of sorts because anytime I get to have friends on the pod, I get really excited. Especially these days, it is not so often that I get to see as many friends as I would love to. So today I'm so happy to welcome on Tamara Kalanich. We met a few years ago. I believe we were at a Michael Kors activation in New York City at the TWA Hotel. We were seated together at dinner, and before you know it, we discovered we were both long-lost Serbian sisters. It's hard to find other Serbians in the fashion industry. And I knew I had an instant friend in her. She's so vivacious, so full of life, and just so much fun anywhere I go. She's also someone I greatly admire. If you don't follow her on Instagram, head to at Tamara on Instagram. She is constantly ahead of the content game. She is on TikTok, YouTube, and she's just someone that I think is really at the forefront of new content ideas, new reels, new TikToks, and she's just someone I always get a lot of inspiration from. She's been named in the top 100 influencers in the UK by the Sunday Times, and she's really become an established figure in the fashion industry. But 10 years ago, she was actually an aspiring pharmaceutical student. And it was then that she launched her now well-known blog, The Glam and Glitter, which has evolved into one of the most popular blogs of our generation. Today, she's a style ambassador for the world's most iconic brands, from Louis Vuitton to Bulgari. She's a frequent guest at fashion shows around the globe and a street style maven known for her absolutely incredible style. In today's episode, Tamara takes us inside the everyday of a global fashion powerhouse, what it was like finding her niche, and how she went from medical school to the top of the fashion industry. I hope you guys love today's episode. If you haven't followed the show yet, find us wherever you listen to your podcasts and make sure you follow us, rate, and leave a review. Here's my friend, Tamara Kalanich. I'm so happy to see you. I haven't seen, I saw you one time 
like a month ago, briefly for like 20 minutes. And before that, I literally hadn't seen you for years. I'm so happy to be seeing you right now. Same. I feel like the past two years were really like put so much distance between like US and Europe. And I feel like it's really about time for that distance to like get smaller. I know. My long lost Serbian sister, the only person that I know (laughs) that is somewhat from the same background as me that I've ever met in fashion. You know, um, I spent New Year's Eve with Ksenia Adons and we were talking about you. I said, you know, like Liv is half Serbian, kind of like her mom is from Montenegro and Ksenia didn't believe it. I saw her last night and the first thing I said was, guess who I'm interviewing tomorrow morning? And she was like, who? And I was like, your new accountability partner. How's that going? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. The accountability partner thing is honestly something that I think everybody needs in their life. I couldn't agree more. And I have to hear more about that because... I have been so inspired by your Instagram feed lately, just seeing the way that you've really taken your resolutions to heart. I need to hear all about this. What were some of the resolutions that you set and how have you been sticking to them? I'm actually so excited to talk about that. So Ksenia and I decided like super last minute to go to St. Bart's um, for New Year's Eve. We've never been before because for us, it's like 15 hour flight basically, and you have to take three different flights. We didn't really know what to expect, and we thought this was going to be like this kind of party island, yet we found something completely different. We were waking up early, working out, eating healthy, reading, and just like enjoying the island. So having like a morning swim and just having like five, six days of that was like a really good start of something new. And then I realized how great I'm feeling because I'm I'm doing all of this stuff that I actually really enjoy, but... I'm not well-structured. I'm very unorganized. I don't really stick to any kind of routines. Uh, All of my New Year's resolutions, like second week of January, they're gone, you know. And it was always quite difficult for me to do anything long-term. But this year, I decided instead of setting up goals for the year, I wanted to just implement some new habits. And I read like two really good books on the topic. One, One is called Elastic Habits and one is called Atomic Habits. And it's just saying that even if you implement a tiniest little change that doesn't even seem like it's making any difference, it will make really big difference long term. So even if you learn, let's say, like even if you take like 15 minutes every day to learn a new language, next year this time, you will already like be so much more, you know, fluent in that language. Yeah. So I basically sat down and I wrote some goals which I always do, but I just leave it there. You know, I write goals and I think like miraculously they will happen. But this year I divided them into projects and then those projects I put into habits. So for example, if my habit, if my goal was to get a bit fitter, I kind of said, okay, I need to have a habit where I'm actually moving more, not just saying, okay, I'll go to gym every day because that's basically impossible. Comes fashion week, I'll be like, I'm not going to go to game over. the gym game every over. single day. No way. You know, <laughs> that I just said that every day I need to make some movement. And the least amount of movement I need to do is like 20 sit-ups. And that counts as habit done. So, and the most amount of habit would be one hour at the gym. So I'm basically making sure that I'm doing all of these things every day, such as like waking up in a good time, not touching my phone first half an hour of the day working out, um, drinking water, or like more water at least, and little things like that. And I have to say, so far, so good. I love that. It's really hard to, like, to stick to those resolutions and those habits. Like there are so many things that I wrote down at the beginning of the year that maybe I've dropped off on a little bit, but something I did start doing out of nowhere. My boyfriend and I started doing this like three nights ago. 
I have no idea how we started doing this, but he just was like, let's set intentions for tomorrow. And you should have seen my face. I was like, what? But we started, we've now been doing it for like three or four nights in a row where we just sit there and say like what we want to accomplish the next day, how we want to feel. And it's really helped. It's just, I love that you've taken on these small habits that can change your mindset every day. It's more about how you feel, which I love. 100%. So for that, like I also set weekly goals or intentions. And then Ksenia and I would have a Zoom call where we discuss what are our plans for the next week. And then next week we meet up and ask each other, so have you done it? I saw you post that the other day. And for anyone who's listening right now, that's like a creative, a freelancer, an influencer, whatever it is, that really struck me when you posted that you were doing that because, you know, we kind of work alone and we have to be our own bosses. And yes, we may have a team of people around us, but we don't have the usual structure of a boss, a team, a management, a feedback loop. So I love that you're doing that. It's like find a friend that's in your industry and hold each other accountable to setting those goals and reaching them. And even more than that, the two of you can sit down. And I feel like if that was me, I would sit there and talk about like fashion news and things that are going on and inspire each other and talk about what's on our minds and like where kind of our brains are at. I thought that was so cool. And I love that you guys were doing that. Honestly, it's something that when you're your own boss, you always find excuses for yourself, right? So you can be like, it's all right, I'll just do it next week. So I have, like when when a task is not that big and you don't really feel like doing it, it's so easy to postpone it. So I wanted to post that I'm searching for an assistant, but I've been wanting to post for like three months. And then I told Ksenia last week, I said, okay, it will be, I will do it this week. And on Sunday we were going to meet and I did it like Saturday night. That's how much I was like dreading, like to post this. I don't know why. It's the easiest, simple task that takes five minutes. But knowing that she will ask me next day, have I done it, made me do it. I'm still kind of struggling in the area of like understanding how to build a good team. And I really admire people who are so good at it. But I guess, you know, you can't, you can't do it all. It's amazing to hear you say that because I'm sure so many people listening right now and myself see you as like a titan on social media. Like you have mastered so much. And I remember even when TikTok first started, you know, coming into the conversation, you were ahead of, you were the first person that I saw doing all of the TikTok style videos. And, you know, this morning, my boyfriend asked me, who are you interviewing today? And I showed him your account and he was like, I've never seen someone so good at this. Oh, thank like, you so much. Even the videos were like, you throw your bag and then you catch it again. Like you've always been so ahead of the game. So I appreciate the honesty in, you know, having a hard time with management skills. Cause I think a lot of people deal with that. I think it's really hard to manage a team and it's really, really challenging to delegate tasks, especially when you're your own boss. We're so trained to do it ourselves. I find it very difficult, especially cause like, like you said, we're kind of, the big, right, like we own this company or whatever that we run, this business, this whole thing, which basically revolves around you as a person. And then everything is so personal. So even when you manage a team, it's so personal and it's very hard to kind of separate. Like even if you need to kind of tell someone how to do something, you need to be so gentle and so kind of really nice about every single approach, which anyway, I would be nice. But you know, when you have like a manager, they can be quite like authoritative without any like emotions and feelings. But when it's me and it's my business, it's very personal. And there's no way, like, how else can you say, oh, I don't like it. It's just, I don't like it. Like, for example, if someone brings you a creative a graphic design or something, you're like, I don't like it. I don't know why, but I don't like it. It's not good enough answer. 
to someone, but it's kind of what it is. If it's a graphic, it goes on your Instagram and it's an extension of you. And that's so much of the world that we live in today. Everything that we put out there, especially on social media, it always ties back to us and who we are. So I understand that. You know, how many people do you have on your team right now? Around six. It's not a very big team. And I don't see that's all of the huge. all the time. But um, it's, it's kind of, it's working really well. A lot of people are with me long term. What I find is quite difficult is finding a personal assistant at the moment just because uh, it's it's a really hard job and it seems like it's a lot more fun than it is because we do travel a lot, right? It's like New York, London, Milan, Paris, Fashion Weeks, Haute Couture, Cannes Film Festival. Listen, that's really normal for like September, February, but I saw you like on a world tour in December. Like she went from like Europe to Miami to LA for an event for a night and then back to New York. I don't even know where you went after that, but like you are very much on the go all the time. It's also incredibly isolating. You're on your own. You're traveling A to B. You have to like go up to events alone because it's not like you're going to bring someone random with you on this trip and pay for them to come with you just to show up at an event. Someone posted something. Um, I don't know if you follow Serena Kerrigan. She's an, a dear friend of mine and a confidence coach, and I love her to bits. She posted something yesterday. I love that we're having this conversation because she was like, when I was in college or high school, my mom used to make me show up to parties alone. And she was like, I hated her for it at the time. But now I really value that because I have a very strong sense of independence and I can go somewhere. And if I'm not talking to someone for five minutes, I'm okay. I can just go grab a drink, maybe get on my phone, look around. Like I don't need the constant energy of somebody else. And I really admired that. I was like, wow, that's a great practice that I think so many people, whether you work for yourself or not, should start working through because it, it is it is kind of this codependency of like, I can't show up to this place by myself. I can't travel by myself. But imagine if we felt the, the confidence to do so. A thousand percent. And I feel so comfortable and confident because I've done like hundreds of these situations. At the beginning of my career, I remember going to press days where I would not, like, I wouldn't know anybody. I come from a pharmaceutical background. I'm a pharmacist by degree. So I, I didn't know anybody in the fashion industry. And I would come to these events and I would try to like smile at people and see if they're going to be like interested in a conversation with a stranger, basically. And now I'm very comfortable when I go to an event where I don't know anybody. But then I see these people, they're like so uncomfortable, like kids, you know. And I think it's like it's one takeaway that it's so important to get comfortable like being on your own, even if you're in a public space, like with a lot of other people who look like they're having fun because it's just like a really important part of growing as a person. Not It doesn't matter how old or young you are. Yeah, I love that. I think it was, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember what actor said this, but it was a meme that was like on Instagram forever that was like, if you can go have a meal by yourself, you can do anything. Exactly, exactly. That's it. You just mentioned that you have a pharmaceutical background. Talk to me a little bit about that background. How did you go from a pharmaceutical background to then being literally one of the top influencers in the world? It's really interesting. So I grew up in Serbia and when I was 18, I moved to England to study pharmacy. I didn't actually know what I wanted to do, what I wanted to study, but I don't think when you're 18, you should be knowing what you're going to be and what you want to do. Unfortunately, I had to decide, right? So I felt that pharmacy was something that, first of all, it's in my family, like it's a family business, but also it's something that I felt like when I graduate in five years time, I will have a job, you know, I will be able to get nice salary and I will be able to support myself. 
So I'm, I'm sort of a person that whatever you give me to do, I will do it, no matter if I enjoy it or not, but I will get it done. That's the Serbian in you. I, I think so. You know, you just have to do it, right? So okay. I started this degree. I realized like, I, I felt like a total imposter because I really like to follow the trends and to see what's going on. And all of my friends were like telling me, Tamara, just focus more on the lab and the library and less on the trends, you know? But I always felt like I really enjoyed it. So in my third year, and there's like four years of actual university and then one year of like um, you work and then you do like a final exam. So it's a five-year course. Um, In my third year, I started a blog because I just wanted to share my outfits. And I also wanted to find 10 online friends, just virtual friends who will be able to share like some fashion tips with me because none none of my friends from uni were interested in anything fashion or beauty related. So I started posting all of these outfits and lipsticks and whatever. And eventually, well, first of all, for the first like six months, nobody was reading it. It was just me. And that was fine. It was like a diary. And then all of a sudden, two comments turned into 10, into 20, into 100. And my blog became really popular. So I started getting invitations from brands such as like Jimmy Choo at first and Farfetch. And I was really shocked that these big brands that I heard about were like bringing me to places. Then my first London Fashion Week, then New York Fashion Week. And that's now like almost 10 years ago. I'm now like super happy because I work with some of my favorite brands, such as like Louis Vuitton, Dior, Hermes, um, Prada, Valentino, like all of the kind of like big European ones. I told you and she like, works with everyone. I really, <laughs> I really, really love that this kind of happened. And honestly, I believe that when I started, it was not a paid job. It was, I've done it like for free for like four or five years, like just because I loved it. And I think that that's the reason why now everything seems a little bit easier because I really put so much work into it at first without actually expecting anything back. So eventually I was working as a pharmacist in England and I worked for two and a half years and one day I just had a bad day and I called, I was like already having my blog as kind of like a side income, but I was really scared, really scared to resign because with this job, what people don't see is that you're basically like a freelancer. You never know when your next job's going to come, right? And never. then at the beginning, you're thinking, okay, what if they don't pay me on time? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? And then the moment I quit my job, I feel like the next day I got a really big job offer like a freelance um, kind of brand came through with the job. So I was really, really happy. And I feel like sometimes things really do work out when you're a bit brave. I really believe that manifesting is important, yes. But I also think that you have to make room for something new to come in. You can't just continue to go on with all the clutter that you have in your life. If you're expecting something new, you have to make room for it. Thousand percent. Because that year when I quit my job, I don't know if it's a coincidence or what, but that's the year when I got all of these jobs like for Fashion Week. And I remember saying I had only like four weeks of holiday a year plus two that I could take unpaid. And I wouldn't be able to take all of those opportunities if I was still working. It would be this or that. And then it would be too late to quit because obviously you have to give your notice, etc. And then um, sometimes you just really have to make move for new, like make space for new opportunities to come in. Something that I am really excited about through this podcast, I've been doing a little bit of mentorship. So I have so many college students that follow and listen to the show, and it has been like the most rewarding thing ever. I'll get emails about, 
hey, how do I, like, what's the best step here? I'll take Zoom calls and kind of facilitate those relationships and help them move to the next step. But the one question I always get is, hey, I want to be in fashion. Hey, I want to be an influencer. Where do I start? And the advice, I'd love to hear your advice. The advice that I've been giving is, in my mind, sometimes for fashion, like a port, say for you want to like work for a magazine, like a portfolio sometimes isn't enough. It doesn't do it. It doesn't like jump off the page for me. It's not like a best case use for the way that we move through fashion today. So for most of my mentees, what I've been saying is like, oh, you should start an Instagram, whether it's private, public, whatever it is. If you want to go into marketing, make that Instagram all about marketing initiatives that you've seen that you love, whether it's a campaign, an influencer initiative, whatever it is, and start aggregating all of your thoughts and the things that you love and like the things you would want to work on into one place so an employer can see that. But today is really different than when you and I first started. I would love to hear if someone asked you that question, what would you say to do to get your start today? First of all, I love that you're doing this, that you're mentoring students. I think it's really beautiful. And I think it's really big of you because it takes time and a lot of effort and you're sharing your experience, which I think is very beautiful. I think that, first of all, it's very important to understand if you really do want to work in fashion and you don't know that until you tried something, you know, and if you really want to work in fashion, it means that you wouldn't even be scared of doing the worst jobs that nobody wants to do. Like interning in magazines is really tough, you know, like interning for anybody is, it can be really, really tough. And a lot of people give up. They give up after like the first three days because they understand that it's not really glamorous. I've heard like at a lot of, well, and I've seen a lot of people who say at interviews, oh, I really want to work in fashion because I've seen Devil Wears Prada and it seems so cool. And I mean, I don't know which part of that seems cool. It seems really difficult and nightmarish if you ask me, because yes, there's whole aspect of fashion, but it's not really like friendly industry. Between Devil Wears Prada and now Emily in Paris, like she goes to one event and she posts something and she gets like 20,000 followers. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like let's set a a, a pro. I love that show, by the way. It's really fun. It gives me a lot of inspiration, but I think it's moments like that that set an unrealistic standard for what it is that we actually do. And it, it actually, it makes it more challenging for us to unravel that mentality. Exactly. So I think like it's really good to kind of start from somewhere like get like not to go like, okay, I want to work in fashion marketing and I can only get a job there. Try like see what it's really like working in fashion. First of all, that's like really important. And sooner you do it, the better it is because you might decide that you actually don't even want it. And then you can just give up on chasing something that you don't even want. First of all. And then when you really understand that you want this and that's the only thing that you want, I think the most important thing is knowing people. And it sounds so sad and like hard because actually connections are everything in fashion. No matter how talented you are, no matter how good you are, that's the brute, like that's the honest truth. And I I learned this the hard way because as I said, I came as someone who graduated pharmacy and then I was in this world where everybody knew everybody except for me. So all of a sudden I was trying to like kind of get in the conversations with people at events and, you know, like I was trying to get to know them, but I did start on time and I really started early and I was hustling and I went through so many uncomfortable conversations and like small talks to know this person, then to know another person, then add them on Instagram and add another person on Instagram. And then like, ah, this person was tagged in the picture. She was also there. I should follow her as well. And the more you broaden your network, like things get easier and also experiences get bigger you learn, like you get to know people. And then as you all grow equally, more opportunities open up. 
But I do think that there's still time to meet people. If you're 20 years old, you just need to make sure that you like, you know, you're talking to the right people, like that you're on social media, that you're involved in the right circles and that you're putting something on there as well. Like that you have content. If you want to talk about, I don't know, like handbags, make sure that you are like, checking out what's the new handbag. And if you are not like speaking to the brands, then make sure that the first day that that handbag is in the department store, you go and check it out and you like take a story of it in the shop and you say what you think about it. Like, but make sure that you have something to say about relevant topics that you want to cover. So I think that's really important is putting content out there and building a huge amount of it so that if a brand asks you like, okay, what have you got to offer to us? You can say like, I posted uh, like, I don't know, like 10,000 posts about different handbags, you know, and that is experience, even though, you know, no one hired you for it. You have a language that you use with your community, no matter how big or small it is, and you have something to say. On the note of fostering relationships, as I mentioned earlier, you've worked with every brand under the sun. And, you know, coming from a background in pharmaceuticals, I can understand how it was really difficult to broach the conversation. But again, there have been so many people that have broached it just by being their authentic selves, meeting people, putting themselves out there. But for you with getting in touch with brands, which I think, you know, today, that's always a big question. It's like, how do I get my first brand deal? How do I, you know, provide value to a brand? What was your best tip for fostering those relationships during a time where it was probably very challenging for you? So let me tell you that I had so many rejections and I just told myself, I had a little pep talk. I told myself, listen, every no will be like, there'll be lots of no's and it's okay, but there'll be one yes. Like eventually someone will say yes. And very long ago, I somehow stumbled, like I made this kind of um, list of emails of all the brands that I wanted to reach out to. And I was just saying like, hi, what I love about that brand. I was making sure that my emails were not generic, that they were very like, what I love about that brand. And then I would say, you know, this is what I want to do for you. I was not asking them for anything. So um, even me, like at this point, I receive a lot of emails and people are like, I want to learn from you. And I'm like, that's great. But it would be much better approach if you tell me what would you like to do for me? And then I can be like, and you know what I can do for you? And then I would list all of these things that I can do for you, you know? So that's kind of how it works if you're in the position of being the person that's emailing, asking for something. So at the beginning, I was sending these brands emails saying like, hi, I want to cover on my blog, which has this many views a month, um, your new collection, for example, or this particular handbag or this particular suitcase, whatever. And actually, I remember Louis Vuitton um, responded to me. It was the Paris team. And they said, yes, we will loop in the UK team. And, you know, they will let you know. And I I couldn't believe it. You know, it was the one brand that I actually wanted to hear back from. And it's still to this day, one of my absolute favorite brands that I work with. And I valued that relationship so much that I didn't want to mess it up. So every time, like, if I could do something for them, I would do like twice as much because I felt that, you know, one day they will like, I will get like all the kind of, you know, I will get the recognition for doing all of this. And it happened because, you know, for the first few years, like, for example, they couldn't invite me to the show because I was still building my name. I was still proving myself. But now I go to their shows, you know, I'm always invited to their events and trips. And it's a relationship I've been building for years. But you know what they say, Rome wasn't built in a day. So I think these things, they take time. And um, it's just very good if you're like starting to kind of 
approach people by saying what you can do for them. You said something earlier that really struck me that I think is something that a lot of people feel, whether you're in fashion or you're not. And that was that with Louis Vuitton, you would always do double the amount because you didn't want to mess it up. You are someone that, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, that I feel like is always ahead of the game. You're someone who is creating the content that everyone wants to copy. So I wonder for you, as someone that is like the pioneer in that, but is also human in your mind and not wanting to ever mess up a relationship and and keep up and, and give the most, how do you stay on top of these new trends and content expectations? And where's your mentality with that when you're creating content for your feed? I think that this job, like I think Instagram is my main platform, like also YouTube and TikTok are there as well. But I think we are now accustomed to this like really fast moving world. So people look at an Instagram post like for two seconds and they already swipe away. It's that's how their attention span is, right? So it's super important to constantly keep changing, which is almost impossible to maintain. It's like unachievable. Um, But what I think is super important is to be the first mover. So if like there's a new Instagram feature, you have to try it. You cannot mess it up. It's it's like a new thing for everybody, right? So when the story started, I was like, okay, I need to post stories like immediately because it doesn't matter if it's going to be successful or not. It's something to try. When lives started on Instagram, I grew, I remember in like only a few months, like two, 300,000 followers on Instagram just from lives. Yeah, because basically it was a new feature and Instagram had like a popular page and they were putting lives of people uh, who were using it like nonstop in yeah. order to incentivize them, like, you know, to be like, okay, use live. And I noticed that I was growing from live so much. So I was like, I have to be on a live like four times a day. And I would be like doing my makeup, you know, and like talking to people right. and it just be in the background. But so many people got an opportunity to see my account just because of that. So when Reels started, I was like, okay, this is a new feature. There's no time to waste because the so- sooner I start, the sooner I will be like, okay, bad at the beginning. And then I'll be able to get better and better and better at it when everybody else jumps on it. But, you know, there's also a lot of ego on social media and people think like, oh, if I do something badly, everybody will laugh at me. You took the thought out of my brain. You know what I mean? It's all about the ego. So people are so scared. But actually, uh, in a year time, when you're a pro at it, who's going to be laughing then? 100% true. I just, I, I think about this all the time. Like, if you're our age on social media, there's such a strong, or anyone on social media, like you're essentially growing up and experiencing life through this channel. And I think that there is this like horrible reality that we all feel that we don't want to show those learning and growing and trying moments on Instagram. We don't. We want everything to appear like we're pros. Yeah. You need that feedback. Like even if it's bad feedback from people saying like, oh, this sucks okay, then at least, you know, you need to improve. I think what's super important, especially for young people, not to give up, like keep trying. Okay, like if you're trying for 10 years and nothing is moving, it means you're trying wrongly. Like, you know, you cannot expect like different results by like doing the same thing on and on, right? So I think it's very important to like try different techniques, but you can still reach that goal. Um, It's just very important not to give up because if you do give up, then you definitely cannot reach the goal. You are also on YouTube. If I'm getting this right, you have over 500 million views. I think so. A lot of million views, but I don't know how many, actually. That's an incredible feat. 
you know what? My YouTube channel is quite niche. It's not like a big subscriber count. There's only like 300,000 subscribers, but I like to show a lot of purchases and handbags. I'm a big fan of handbags. And um, I kind of created my little, like, very well-engaged group of people that, like, so it's not like I have 10 million subscribers, but my subscribers really watch my content. And I'm so grateful for that YouTube community because, you know, like, on Instagram, you get comments that are, like, just emojis or just, like, not really meaningful things. But on YouTube, you really get long texts and people tell you about their mothers and sisters and about their jobs and children. And it's really a beautiful thing. I love that. I think it's like right now, maybe in the past, I wasn't so attuned or inspired to this, but I'm really, really inspired right now by people who are communicating stories through their Instagram in a deeper way. I think we can all fall into the routine of posting a photo and posting an emoji as the caption. But I don't know, right now I'm just feeling really gravitated towards these longer captions and seeing how people comment um, things that are also more than emoji. Because I do think, again, we can get so caught up in that routine of just like cute, smile, heart, whatever it is. But I actually think where we're going to see more of like a human touch point and human connection on social media is when we share stories like that via comments, via DM, whatever it is. That's actually when I feel most in my power in my job is when I get that feedback from people that they're telling me a story about themselves or a moment that they related to. And it's more than just this like passive like comment, move on. And you write so beautifully that like, if you ask me what I'd like to see more on your Instagram, I would love to see you post more stories about things you write, like your thoughts and your opinions, because I think that you have so much to share in that department. And sometimes that's hard to share on the feed, right? Because it's pictures. But I think that um, on stories, you can like share your, like, because you really have so much to offer when it comes to what goes on in your brain. I'm always like super curious. I love that you said that because that was another goal of mine this year was to just lean into that a little bit more. I think I get a little bit shy on Instagram, which as we talked about, everyone can relate to at times. And I do get a little bit like stifled and feel a little claustrophobic on social media. But that was a goal of mine this year was like to just share more about my feelings and kind of where I'm at and things I'm writing, things I'm paying attention to. And, you know, I think like if you're ever stuck in a rut, not knowing what to post on social media, you should ask friends. Friends are the ones that will be like, you know what, you're good at this because it's a very subjective thing. It's like social media sometimes feels like art. This is my art, (laughs) you know, and like I can post only this kind of content. But then friends will tell you, hey, but you're good at this. Why don't you do that? Like, you know, they will tell you, hey, post maybe less of that and more of this. And I think usually that's when it really kind of works. And I think like you definitely have to share more opinions and your words because you put things in words so beautifully. Thanks. I had a friend recently say something to me where she said, I wish all of our friends could see themselves the way that we see them. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I feel like that's that's where I'm at right now. Where are you in the world right now? Because it's oh, it's basically, for me, it's not fashion month, but for you, it's always fashion month. So I know that you are very much on the go. So I'm in Paris at the moment for, uh, I was here for Haute Couture and I'm here a little bit longer. And then um, I'm hoping to come in a day or two to New York for Fashion Week, followed by Milan and Paris Fashion Weeks. I think that this Fashion Week is going to be really interesting because we're kind of in a surge right now. Everything's going to have to be indoors because it's cold, but outdoors because of COVID. So I don't know, the next month is going to be really interesting. How has 
you've been on the Fashion Week tour already prior to this month upcoming. How has it been for you? So I haven't been to New York for two years. Can you believe that? That's the longest, like, Crazy. not been to New York in my life. And I almost, like, forgot what it's like to come for Fashion Week. But Milan and Paris, they kind of have been, like, happening here and there. And the shows are just a little bit smaller. There's, like, less seats. I just attended Fendi's show. And I remember, like, back in the day, we would be like, if you're sitting far from your friend, you just, like, swap seats. But now you cannot sit close to your friend because everybody's two meters apart. My first show ever, actually. I think I was, like, 21. I don't know. I was a little spring chicken. And I think I went to the Sally LaPointe show. And it was my first experience of that, being in a, a row, a long bench. And it was like every single one of our friends. It was like Rocky and Shay and Caroline and like everyone. And I remember my seat was like at the end of the bench and everyone just like smushed together, linked arms and like just sat and watched the show. And like, we can't do that anymore. And it was something that I so miss. And that was just like this little nuanced moment of fashion week that I absolutely loved and just always brought me joy to see people and connect with them in that way and all sit there and watch the show. It almost felt like being really young again. Same. And even like, I I find it the whole like best part of the fashion weeks is seeing your friends, you know, from all around the world. That's honestly even last. I've always said that fashion week feels like summer camp to me. You go, you see all your friends, you have so much fun. You like ride the rides, do the whole thing. And then you leave and you say bye for a few months. I have to say last fashion week was amazing. It was great to see the brands back out there again, support them, know that they are able to show again. But it felt there was such a missing link of like not having you there, not having Xenia there, like not having all of our European friends there felt really different. And I'm so curious to see how that continues to evolve. I hope that it opens up again and we can... We can all link arms and watch a show together soon. Same. Okay, so you'll be in New York. I hope I get to see you. Likewise. What is exciting you about fashion right now? I feel like we're kind of in a a weird moment, but there's a lot to be inspired by if by someone like you who is like in the weeds on the ground. I really love all the new designers, to be very honest. Obviously, luxury fashion is something I love and I appreciate a lot and it's something that I consume. But I think like what I'm finding the most exciting thing is finding the new designers and presenting them to my audience. That's something that I'm really like excited about, especially if I like spot someone who like I discover someone before they actually become big. Um, It's something I really enjoy. But in general, in fashion, I think this year is going to be so fun because we're finally getting out of tracksuits. Did that really bother you? (laughs) I'm so happy. I'm so happy because, yes, they're comfy and stuff, but it's so like, I mean, I need to dress up. Like, so like before this call, I had a shoot today and I was only going to walk like 10 minutes and I put on a track suit to go to the shoot because there I would change. And then I told myself like old Tamara would never go out in a track suit. This is like a, this is a consequence of like pandemic. And I, I just said to myself, no, put at least jeans on, you know, because as much as like it's all like cool and like leisure wear and stuff, but I just still think that it's quite nice to dress up. I couldn't agree more. I'm always the first person that was like, oh, someone asked me to dinner. Like, okay, I'm, I'm putting on an outfit. It's such a strong moment and like confidence moment for yourself that anytime I, I've always said, like even in college, I was like putting on a good outfit can change your whole day. I would go to class and like a little heel and like a skirt and a button down. I literally thought I was Blair Waldorf, but 
you know, I would always go because I wanted to present myself in a way that made me feel good. And they say that you should always dress the part, you know, like if you want to be kind of respected, you cannot come like looking like you just woke up in pajamas. As much as I, I feel like that's so comfortable and comforting and, you know, like you're just like, I put a coat over this and I go. Yeah, I, I mean, great. But I think it's quite nice to dress up and to show people that you put effort, especially if you go to meet other people. I love you so much. This was so fun. I really loved getting to know more about you and your journey. This is like my favorite part about having this podcast and bringing friends on. So I really, really appreciate your time. I know it's late. It's like 9 a.m. for me. It's like 7 p.m. for her. (laughs) So I hope you have a beautiful evening and I am hoping I get to see you very soon. Thank you so much for having me. I think your podcast is great. I actually like started listening to so many um, this week because I'm catching up due to Fashion Week and I really love it. Keep up doing the great work. Oh, thank you. I love you. Ah, Love you. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.